Welcome back to Crossing the Jordan, everybody. I pray that you are doing wonderful, and thank you so much for tuning back in with us today as we continue our topic of salvation. Last Saturday, we took a little break on talking about 9-11, and now we're going to continue um, and pick up where we left off on the topic of salvation. So this is series 18, episode 19. So we've had 18 episodes before this. So let's see where we've been so far. We talked about the gospel. We talked about what is Jesus, what is God doing on a cross. We talked about right relationship and then right order, what Christ came to restore. We talked about a personal invitation, taste and see. We talked about grace, uh, the pure grace of God, unearned free gift of God. We talked about saving faith versus like faith alone. We talked about uh, how we're saved and judged by love. We talked about our consciences being for, our conscience being formed and how our conscience can either accuse or excuse us based on what we know and what God has given us and what we're able to know um, God will judge us on. We talked about heaven. We talked about hell. We talked about purgatory. We talked about uh, are you being saved, the threefold biblical and Catholic response to being saved. And we lastly, on episode 18, we talked about free will, predestination, and the sovereignty of God. So today, we're actually going to talk about sin. We're going to talk about original sin and um, personal sin. So we'll kind of get right into it and do like two easy definitions of original sin versus personal sin. It'll kind of be a differentiator and then we'll kind of get into the details and we'll actually go all the way back to the beginning um, when the devil um, and fallen angels tempted Adam and Eve and how that was a personal sin and how really all sins are the same as far as kind of the, the root of it goes. So sin in its like just simplest form is something that is really beneath our dignity, but really it's trying, it's doing something outside of the natural order, the natural law. So everything has a purpose and an end and do something outside of that because it's God's law or it's doing something outside of a relationship with God, knowingly and willingly rejecting good. So really every single action that we take has a moral action to it. It, Morality just meaning that it impacts ourselves and the world and people around us because we're persons, we're free persons that willingly choose. So, um, uh, act may be actually bad, right? But uh, act is bad only because it's it's lacking the good. So when we talk about evil, evil isn't like this substance in the in the world, even though we see evil all the time. But the those acts itself, it's evil because it's lacking the good. Just as like there's light in the world and darkness isn't a substance, it's just a lack of light. Same thing with with something that's bad. It's just a lack of good. So it's something that we're doing that is lacking the good. And because sin is in its nature, us acting out for the something that's bad or it's something that's lacking the good, it means that it's disordered, right? So we reach for something that's disordered. That's why we, t- we talk about all these different sexual sins and we say it's disordered. Well, we're saying every single sin is disordered. Um, and so that is really what sin is. And sin really is beneath our dignity. My personal definition for it is that sin is settling for things beneath our dignity, that we were actually de- we deserve and we're made for more, and yet we actually just settle. We're like, well, I can't get the best thing, so I'm just gonna do this thing. So we try to be God without God, right? So we try to steal from it. So that's that's really what sin is. And I know I talked about a lot of actions right there. So that's personal sin. Personal sin is when we we personally choose. It's our act. It's our acting out out of uh, the wrong relationship um, with good things and its ordered purposes and ends. So that's really an acting out, obviously, against God's law and his people and God. So um, that's really what personal sin is when we choose to do something. It's an actual committed 
sin, right? So, um, and it's an actual act that we do. But original sin is different. Original sin isn't something that we do. It's an actual state that we inherit from uh, Adam and Eve's uh, personal sin. So at the very beginning, the fall happened. That was personal sin from Adam and Eve. But through that became original sin. We contracted what they, um, because of what they did. So like they had, they had this union with God and with each other, and they had preternatural gifts, which is essentially saying before all of this brokenness, they had um, their intellect, their wills, all these things were put in right order. But their personal sin, when they acted out, they tried to become God without God, even though they were already like God, that personal sin got contracted to the whole human race. Um, and that's exactly what we have. It's it's a we, it's something that's contracted it's, and it's a state. So we're born into original sin, meaning the effects of that is broken humanity. So it is like every single day we can see original sin. Why? Because we see a tendency for brokenness. Our our wills aren't as strong. Our intellects aren't, aren't as strong. And especially like our wills. Think about just how many times in a day we do something that we don't want to do. But like we, we know that it's bad, but we're like, it's just easier. It's just easier to get it. Even just in simple uh, examples is like, I know I should eat more greens, but I, instead I'm just continuing to eat burgers or fast food because it's easy and fast. I need to be drinking more, um, you know, good juices. Instead I'm drinking Coca-Colas <laughs> um, and uh I know I should be doing stuff around the house instead where we might be watching TV or something. That's simple. That, those are simple examples, but it goes all the way to actual um, sinful actions. But we're, we know that what is good for us and yet we settle for the bad. And so that's what original sin is, is that our, we inherited it and we have like these disordered attractions and desires, which is called concupiscence. So we have a tendency for the fallen. We have a tendency for the, to choose the bad, even though we know, even if we know the good, we have this tendency to think things that are irrational, right? So um, when we have, um, if we get mad. And like we just, our thoughts go crazy and we're just thinking worse and worse things and we're even thinking about doing something bad. Like that is that is our broken human nature. That is our concupiscence wanting to lash out. And this is when um, when we talk about the flesh, we talk, to, we talk about the flesh that um, in scripture. One, it's used for actual human flesh. So Jesus obviously raised human flesh. Um, uh, that's actually a heresy that says like our flesh, our humanity is bad. That's rejected by the church. Why? Because God took on flesh to raise human flesh up. So the, the physical nature isn't bad. That's that's actually one of the heresies that were in the past were that our, our human bodies are a trap to our soul. The human body is bad and we need to get out of it. That is not Christianity at all. Christianity is humanity is good and so good that God, God the blessed, uh, the second person of the blessed Trinity took on human flesh to raise it, to divinize it, to give it lost the power that we've lost through original sin and personal sin, to raise it to eternal glory so that we can actually love purely. So, but when we talk about the flesh in scripture, like when St. Paul says, do not gratify the desires of the flesh, or when Jesus says to Peter, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my heavenly father, um, he, they're talking about, um, our human desires outside apart from God's grace. And St. Paul in Galatians five talks about how that the, the, the desires of the flesh are plain. 
immorality, impurity, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, anger, selfishness, dissension, um, heresy, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and the like. Those are desires of the flesh. Those are times where we want to do these things because it's just easier, right? Uh, it just seems easier. And what we know that is disordered and it is disordered out of um, our human nature that is rooted in the natural law. The, everything has a purpose and an end and we try to go around it to get to the end. So we try to justify the means to get to an end or we just go around the means and an end. <laughs> we just It's fallen human nature. And St. Paul says, do not gratify desires of the flesh, but instead walk by the Spirit. And the uh, the fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And so in Christ Jesus, we are raised again from our broken human flesh to be able to say uh, no to those things that we know that are bad and say yes to the good, to say yes to the true, to the pure, the lovely, the gracious. So again, original sin versus personal sin. Original sin is contracted, personal sin is committed. Original sin is a state or a place of being in the fallen, or personal sin is an act where we actually do that. And original sin is talked about right in scripture. So the Old Testament, like David, he says, in sin I was I, was I conceived. And then in St. Paul, um, St. Paul Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 12, St. Paul talks about original sin. And he, contra- he contrasts the old Adam with the new Adam. And he says, therefore, as sin came into the world through one man and death came through sin, and so death spared to all men because all men sinned. And which, by the way, scripture also talks about how when sin is full grown, death, uh, it leads to death. So death is not a part of God's plan. And actually in wisdom, it talks about how um, God did not create death and he does not delight in the destruction of the living. So where does death come from? Death comes from sin. So Sin happens, and what's the worst death is spiritual death, because now even after the original sin and uh, physical death happens, Jesus came to redeem it. So like even now through physical death, our spiritual lives continue, our souls um, continue and live in Christ Jesus and live in perfect harmony with God and, and humanity and creation. Um, but also at the end of time, our bodies will be united to ourselves in the fullness of redemption that our bodies await for. So death is not a part of God's plan, but death is a consequence of original sin that we've contracted, uh, or uh, yeah, original sin that we've contracted. So we continue. Sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sins were not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. So he's talking about people dying, even though they may have not had personal sin after Adam, but they are contracted through the sin of Adam. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift and the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the effect of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brings justification. If, because of one man's trespass, Adam, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who received the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Then, as one man's trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one man's act of righteousness leads to acquittal and life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. Law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, 
grace also might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So there is a lot there, but it's so beautiful. Like St. Paul is talking about how in the beginning we had this original righteousness and justification. We were, we, uh, Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve had the original plan of God of um, being uh, having his divine life in them, and they rejected that. And then through that sin, original sin came in, we are broken, and so all of us are apart from, we are living apart from God's grace, and that's what leads to our broken flesh, is that we are living apart from God's grace, and we need our, uh, we need his grace in order to be raised up above the our um, broken human nature to actually live more human. Mary was the most human. Um, she's not some other creature. She was the most human because she is perfectly united um, to God, just as Adam and Eve were at the beginning. But they rejected and had disobedience, which led to the uh, sin and death to all men. And Jesus came to be the He as the new Adam restores us and actually raises up to even a greater uh, living and participating in the very life of God, the divine nature, which is perfect divine love. So he raises humanity to participate in divine love and where we receive righteousness and justification. So that's St. Paul on original sin. Personal sin, it's all over scripture, right? Like, don't do this. That is them saying, like, this is what God, the apostles are saying, do not do this personal sin, right? So St. Paul, again, do not gratify the desires of the flesh. Um, and that will, you will not inherit the kingdom of God if you, de- if you gratify the desires of the flesh, willingly, knowingly. In fact, for sin, for personal sin to be true sin, the person has to know it's bad and still choose it or has the capacity to, to find out that it is bad and they're just lazy about it. So I was actually, um, we had that whole episode on conscience and how God will judge us. So like people who don't know the name of Jesus, but strive to live uh, and strive to know God and they are seeking like God's, God through the grace of Jesus can still save that person without having an, ex, an explicit faith in Jesus and his church. But Um, I was actually just talking to somebody very recently, and I think this is a perfect example of how our conscience actually requires us to be formed. And if we have the capability of knowing, we should know it. So for example, um, we might be going through a difficult like decision, right? So we're in this dilemma that this actually might be a bad decision, but I don't know. The, what conscience requires you to do in that case is to find out if it is wrong. So I think a lot of us, we just want to do something or buy stuff um, where we're like, well, I don't know if it's bad, so I just don't want to find out. I'd rather just not know, and then I still do it. That God will judge us for, because we had an opportunity or at least the capacity to desire to know. So when we say conscience and people are and people are have invincible ignorance, invincible ignorance is when they have, um, it's to no fault of their own, where they didn't even have the ability to know about Jesus. So when we talk about evangelizing and everything like that, like we are giving people opportunities to say yes to Jesus, and they actually have an opportunity in in America. So um, yeah, we have to be very careful to just say, oh, everyone's going to heaven if they because they're trying to do their best. No, we have the possibility and the capability of knowing if it's right or wrong in a certain situation or knowing the truth of Jesus in this church. And if we don't take those means, those opportunities, that's going to be something taken into account on Judgment Day. And although that we had that previous episode on conscience before, I'm actually going to link a great video by uh, Ralph Martin who goes about um, what invincible ignorance actually means. Because a lot of people will ask, well, if people are invincibly ignorant, 
and they can go to heaven because they don't know, well, then maybe we should just not evangelize. Like it, you, then you would take it all the way to the back of just saying, it would actually been better for none of us to know. We would just been saved without the knowledge of Jesus. He could have just saved us without. But that is horrible because one, Jesus transforms our life here and now for the good. It's not something, it's not burdensome. Um, so he trains, changes it for the good. So even that in itself is like, we're bringing the good to people because we love them. Um, but also, and as we've talked about before, um, when this question was brought up in the 1900s, I'm forgetting the which pope it was, but when this question was asked, like, well, should we evangelize? Because um, like, we're actually giving them chances to reject Jesus. And But if they're ignorant, then they can be saved. So it's actually better. Well, as we just talked about, there's another reason. But also, his, he just flipped it on his head and just said, "If the better question is, can we be saved if we don't proclaim the gospel? Right? So St. Paul, woe to me if I do not proclaim the gospel because it's good news here and now to have divine life, to have full communion with God, with each other, to restore relationships, to restore communion, to uh, to be walking in the new creation, to actually have joy and goodness and truth and beauty. Like self-help, <laughs> get rid of that. Let's have the uh, greatest um, good possible, which is God in us. So anyhow, and now we're going to talk about the difference between mortal and venial sin, deadly sin versus venial sin. So um, first, in the very beginning, we ta- talked about how all human actions are moral actions. And the catechism in paragraph 1750 talks about human actions. And this is actually a great way to determine if what we're doing is in right order, which is in accord with God's law. And it's uh, we have to consider the object chosen to and the end in view or the intention. And number three, the circumstances of the action. So the object chosen is a good toward which the will deliberately directs itself. It is the matter of a human act. So the object chosen morally specifies the act of the will insofar as reason recognizes and judges it to be or or not to be in conformity with the true good. Objective norms of morality express the rational order of good and evil attested to by conscience. So um, those are things that we can consider as we're doing human, like every single day, how we're going to react to people, how we're going to treat people, how we're going to talk and live our life. So with that baseline knowledge of being able to discern what is right and wrong and if it's in right accord of for using things and people and speech to its right purpose, its true end and purpose, then we know we're in good standing. But with that, if we go outside of that, this is the, and we already talked about how sin, it takes a deliberate knowledge of doing it. So um, there is a difference though between mortal and venial sin and it's right in scripture in first john chapter 5 verse 16 through 17 saint john says this if anyone sees his brother committing what is not a deadly sin he will ask and god will give him life for those whose sin is not deadly there is sin which is deadly i do not say that one is to pray for that all wrongdoing is sin but there is sin which is not deadly so here right in scripture the from the apostle who leaned on Jesus's heart at the Last Supper, had an intimate relationship with him, talks about the difference between mortal and venial sin. So small things that uh, that we do versus huge things that we do. And the difference really between them is venial sin, it's still a sin. You still deliberately did something that you know you probably shouldn't have done, such as like say something a little snarky or get a bad attitude or, um, you know, hang up your phone call too early or something like that. Um, and out of like a disrespectful way, those things do not cut off the life of God in us. 
So it does not cut us off from a relationship with God. It just, it, but it does, uh, it does weaken us, right? So venial sin, it can lead to mortal sin because the more venial sins that we do weakens us. So for example, somebody who um, just has a, like a loose tongue and sometimes uh, we like, we talk more and, or we use language that might be bad. Like we say a swear word or something like that. Well, it can just grow and grow and grow. And next thing you know, you're cussing and using huge swear words and in a context where it's actually scandalous. So that can become, you know, from sin all the way to gossip and cutting and kind of, you know, killing the reputation of somebody else. It can lead to mortal sins. So even venial sins weaken us and it does, uh, uh, suppress the life of God in us. But mortal sin, where we actually do something that is grave, it actually cuts off the life of God in us. And we have to get right back into the grace of God um, because we have rejected him in that in that way. So this is what the catechism says um, between uh, mortal sin and venial sin in 1855, uh, paragraph 1855. Mortal sin destroys charity in the heart of man by a grave violation of God's law. It turns man away from God, who is his ultimate end and his beatitude, by preferring an, an inferior good to him. Venial sin allows charity to subsist, even though it offends and wounds it. And there are three conditions that must be met for a sin to be mortal. In 1857, the Catechism says these three conditions. Mortal sin is sin whose object is a grave matter and which is also committed with full knowledge and deliberate consent. So somebody who knows it's wrong and deliberately and willfully still chooses to do it. So it goes on to actually list what grave matter is though. Like what is that big thing that differentiates between venial and uh, mortal sin? Because that really is the difference is how big is the, the matter that's happening. So grave matter is specified by the Ten Commandments, which are the natural law, corresponding to the answer of Jesus to the rich young man. Do not kill, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and your mother. So, and Jesus elevates these, right? He doesn't just say, don't kill somebody. Well, he says that we kill a brother or sister when we slander them. We commit adultery with our heart if we lust even after a woman in our heart um, and and the like. So Jesus elevates it, by the way. So it's like, oh, thank God I didn't kill somebody today. No, we may have because we're, we can gossip. But even within that natural law and those Ten Commandments, there really can be uh, even a, um, the gravity of sins can be lesser or greater. So for example, murder, the actual murder is great, greater, graver than theft. But one must also take into account who is wrong. So like, let's say there's violence against parents when there's a commandment of honor your father and your mother. It's the only positive commandment. That's actually graver than violence against a stranger, right? So uh, there are actual levels of how grave it is. But regardless, if it's grave, we cut off the life of God within us. So mortal sin and venial sin both still require full knowledge and complete consent. So we know that it's wrong and we still choose to do it. So that's a good overview of mortal versus venial sin. But let's also actually just talk about the effects of sin. So in scripture, specifically like in Exodus, Deuteronomy, and in Numbers, we hear God saying how that the guilty, like the sin of one man, the iniquity is passed down to the third and fourth generations. But what does that mean? He's not saying like, because it actually come, becomes even clearer in scripture how God will not punish people for the sins of their fathers. Like your sin is your sin and your father's sins, your grandfather's sins and so forth are not your sins. You are not guilty of that. But sin impacts generations. Think about the, the, the difference between somebody who um, like started using drugs, has kids and continues using drugs and how they're impacted down 
uh, to the third and fourth generations. Like it literally impacts an entire family tree, an entire family line. So uh, it really does set a curse, so to speak, on a family who uh, somebody at one point made bad decisions and now they're in this cycle that their family can't get out of. Um, well, Jesus came to get them out of that. But, um, but that's what it talks about in scripture, talking about the third and fourth generation. And as mentioned before, and scripture becomes clear about this, that we do not have the guilt of sin of people in our family or whatever who've gone before us, right? So, and this is where God talks about it in Ezekiel 18, 20. He says, the son shall not suffer for the iniquity of the father, nor the father suffer for the iniquity of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. So God is making a clear distinction that personal sin stays with the person who actually commits that personal sin. And the last thing I would like to do is go all the way back to the beginning in the fall. And this is how and how all personal sin is really just a redoing of that sin. Sin is boring. Sin, there's nothing new to it. So like think about even the worst people in all of human history, even though they're different people and they've done different acts, all of it comes down to the same thing. <laughs> like they've, It's boring. But look at the lives of the saints. Everyone is drastically different. Talk about diversity coming into the relationship with Jesus to have a full human life that we're created to be. That's what makes us and sets us apart. So um, sin is boring. So uh, and there's nothing new to it. So at the very beginning in the fall, we see really the same thing going on and the same action of all of our sins. We're just redoing what Adam and Eve did. Um, but uh, And we're going to see this beautiful parallel of what Jesus did in the desert and on the cross and what he calls each of us to do. Um, and fasting, prayer, and almsgiving, and how this combats this the sin that actually was the root of the sin that took place at Adam and Eve and in all of us when we have personal sin. So first, in the beginning, we see that there's creation and Adam and Eve, they're in perfect communion with God and with each other. They are naked and unashamed, right? So they are fully exposed to each other and not ashamed about it because they have this purity, this innocence with each other. And the snake comes. This snake, obviously, this is metaphorical speaking in the first uh, three chapters of Genesis. Um, same with the creation. But that's another story. But it's the snake who we know at the end the in the fullness of Revelation and and uh, and actually the book of Revelation it talks about the snake is the dragon or the devil, right? So devil the Greek word for diablos, which means the accuser or the slanderer. And so where did this devil or demons come from? So God did not create anything bad. All of us creation, whether it's the world, whether it's us, but also the angels at the at the beginning, God created angels who are pure spirits, so they have no form. They're pure spirits, they're pure intellect. And when God uh you know gave them the option to uh show and to choose to serve him for one for him, but also for his purposes with the salvation of humanity, some said I will serve, and others said I will not serve. So they were created good, and this is actually how um, a lot of times we hear about the devil being, or Satan, um, the accuser, of um, being like this. He was uh, Lucifer, which means light bearer. So like he was this like this highest angel that rejected God. Um, so now they're fallen. So these demons, these devils, are fallen angels that reject God and His plan. So they hate 
God and his plan and they hate us. But when we talked about sin just a minute ago, a lot of people would be like, well, the devil made me do it. No, nope, we still have full capacity of our free will. So even though the devil tempts, he accuses, he slanders, we still have, we can give him permission to actually uh, do those things. So, um, and as Jesus calls him, he is a the father of lies and he was a murderer from the beginning. So what does he do? He lies and he murders. He lies and he kills life. He lies to us about our identity, what God says about us, what God believes about us, what uh, we have to, the lie about we have to perform in order to earn God's love. And he is a murderer. He kills the life of, he wants to kill the life of God in us. He hates the plan that we are actually going to be at the end of time greater than angels. <laughs> angels are greater than us. And yet it says that we will, uh, St. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, 3, do you not know that we are to judge angels? So saints in heaven are actually more uh, glorious than even the angels by participating in God's plan. So angels at the very beginning had an option to choose or not choose. The devil said, I'm not choosing so that they're fallen. And that was a permanent uh, choice. Just as the angels, just as we uh, make our final decision at like before death, after death, we cannot change our decision. Same thing with the angels. After that, that's it's set. So the devil at the very beginning of humanity and the creation of humans, there's the devil right in the midst of it, trying to get um, us to believe in a lie to and to kill the life of God in us. So he says um, to Adam and Eve, who were already made in the image and likeness of God. So they were already like God. And this is what uh, the devil says to them, is that, did God say, you shall not eat of the, free of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So here's the devil, the accuser, the liar, <laughs> literally lying to Adam and Eve to think that they will be like God um, if they do this. They were already like God. They didn't have to earn it. It was pure grace. It was just gifted to them. And yet he gets them to believe in a lie and they go along with it and it kills the life of God in them, and they spiritually die. They're cut off from living in that communion with God and with each other. And right after that, what do we see? Taking no responsibility for their own actions. Adam is like, God, it was it was the woman that you gave me. So God, so uh, Adam at the very beginning, after the fall, um, hides himself, one, from God and from the the woman that he was once naked and unashamed for. And now he basically points and accuses and is playing the devil's game with God and with the woman. It was your fault. <laughs> and we do the same thing. So let's see the next part, though, in the fall of man. It's very interesting. So, and the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. So this threefold desire that it lists here that that uh, Eve saw is that it is picked up in 1 John 2.16, where it talks about the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. So it lines up perfectly here. The tree was good for food. So it was lust of the flesh. It was good for consumption. That it was a delight to the eyes. It was lust of the eyes. And it desired to make one wise. So it was the pride of life. So these three things, this is exactly correlates to why Jesus says, when you pray, when you give alms, when you fast. So these three things combat this threefold desire of temptation to sin. And Jesus battled this in the desert with the devil. And he goes to battle with the devil. And the devil literally has the exact same things. Like when he takes him to the top of the temple and um, 
the the bread, uh, like turning a stone into to to bread. So like he's tempting him with being good for the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And Jesus prayed, fasted, and gave alms. So like he fasted from those things and he prayed because he was he said that I'm going to depend upon God. And that's the exact same thing that we need to do. So this is why in the life of a Christian, it is not if we pray, if we give alms, if we fast, it is when we do those things. Jesus expects us to do that. Why? Because we shall not gratify the desires of the flesh, but walk according to the spirit. And we're going to have an entire episode on, uh, this is why um, St. Paul, it very clearly talks about penances and mortifications and um, and doing these things is to is to crucify the, the desires of the flesh, to walk accord with Christ, just as he did. So to unite ourselves even more with Christ. So this is what's so beautiful about um, the new Adam and walking in union with the new Adam of Jesus is to undo this fall. So the lust of the flesh, we need to fast. Whatever whatever we think is going to be good for the flesh, um, and, it, and it might be good, but if we can train us to say no to even good things once in a while that aren't necessary, then we can say no to the bad things. And the lust of the eyes, we need to give alms because the lust of the eyes is, I see something, it looks, it's a delight to it, and I can be consumed in that thing. But no, I actually give it away because I want to be detached from it, right? Like Jesus says, I renounce everything, which truly means not renounce it in the sense that it's bad. It's renouncing it by saying that it does not belong to me. It's not mine. It's for the service of God. So even in our use, we use it for the proper ends. But a lot of times, uh, some things that are unnecessary, we give it away. We give it away because we just want to be attached to God and detached from earthly things. So to train our lust of the eyes, we give alms. And then the lastly, the pride of life, that desire to be making one wise. Like we are nothing apart from God. Apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. So in prayer, we again come in humility to to say, God, I need you. I can do nothing apart from you. Without you, I am fallen. <laughs> I am broken. And uh, but you want to restore me. You want to, you want me to um, be conformed to your image, to to be fully alive in your love. So this is why we pray, fast, and give alms by the model of Jesus and by his uh, by his commandment as Christians. Is we he expects all of us to pray, fast, and give alms to live a life fully in communion communion with Jesus. And it says that uh, Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil, which is sin and death. He came to destroy it. And so, um, and even uh, Rome, and in Romans 16, 20, this is what St. Paul says, For while your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you, I would have you wise to what is good and guileless as to what is evil. Then the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. So here, St. Paul is talking about he would he wants us to do good and to reject evil so that the, so God can crush Satan under our feet. Just as he has destroyed Satan through Jesus Christ with Mary in accordance and fulfillment of the, his promise in Genesis 3.15 that he would put enmity between the devil and the woman and his seed and her seed between Mary and the devil and his demons and, and Jesus so and her, all of her children. So God, what he did through Mary, through Jesus, in Jesus, through Mary, he wants to do in us to crush Satan's works, to destroy the works of the devil, to say no to sin, to say no to death, and we will to live in God, in Christ Jesus. Because as scripture says, sin, whatever we do, we are a slave of. So 
If we sin, we are slaves of sin. So sin is slavery. But for for freedom, Christ has set us free. Not just from something, but for something. For true freedom. And St. Paul says, but do not use your freedom for the works of the flesh or for evil deeds. No, we are created in Christ Jesus for good works. So we are to destroy the works of the devil with Jesus so that God, the Father, can crush Satan underneath our feet. So we continue, we press on. And we've been talking a whole lot about sin. But no matter what you've done, no matter what we've done, what Christ has done on the cross is more powerful than anything that we've ever done, is more powerful than your sin. This is precisely him entering into that darkest place. Romans 5, 8, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So do not think you have to become perfect in order for Jesus to love you. It's precisely right now Jesus wants to enter into your life to transform you. Whew, okay, we talked about a lot. So we've talked about original sin, personal sin, venial sin, mortal sin. We've talked about um, uh, invincible ignorance. We've talked about how our sins uh, or other people's sins do not, um, we're not guilty for. We've talked about what Christ came to do. We've talked about the fall of Adam and Eve and how um, their fall is exactly like our sins and we have the same temptations and how the devil is not the one who makes us sin, but He lies and he accuses and we can fall and we can believe in those lies, but we are to be uh, in what we are actually created for. But this is how I want to end this episode, is we're going to look at the story of uh, the sinful woman who's forgiven by Jesus in Luke 7, verse 36. And this is what the story is. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and sat at table. And behold, A woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was sitting at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and wiped them with the hair of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw it, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who was touching him for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, What is it, teacher? A certain creditor had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he forgave them both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, The one I suppose to whom he forgave more. And he said to him, You have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. The gospel of the Lord. So here we see clearly Jesus wants to enter into our brokenness, our sinfulness, to forgive us, to truly set us free. And from that forgiveness flows love, flows when we come and to encounter Jesus in our brokenness, when, he, when we hear those words of forgiveness and we actually receive his grace, we receive the word implanted in our hearts, we can move with power. We can move with great love. 
We can truly live in accord with the Spirit. We can truly live in that garden, even in the midst of this broken world, even in the midst of the desert. We live in this garden of communion, of trust, of love, of abandonment to knowing God's promises, abandonment to God's providence here and now, that he works all things for the good of those who love him, that every single thing that happens in our lives, it's happening so that we might know, serve, and love God with all of our hearts, all of our minds, all of our souls, all of our strength, and that we would make him known by our lives. So if you've sinned a lot, if you sinned a little, come and receive forgiveness. Get to the sacrament of confession. Hear Jesus tell you you are forgiven and go and sin no more and to live a life not being a slave to sin, but living a life in total freedom and in self-giving love.